extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience. Enduring hardship, when called upon to defend and liberate, they said yes. They found courage to rise with every sun, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command. Even in the darkest hours, they said yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them, saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. This is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, I am so grateful for, uh, for our military armed uh, services. And really, as we look at uh, that video, and they said yes, um, I think of those who did uh, make the ultimate sacrifice for us, right, to be able to worship the way that we do in freedom here in the United States. Um, I think we all recognize that there are pressures uh, in, our, in our world today, and some of those freedoms feel a little less secure than what they did maybe even you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, which makes the sacrifice that was made all the more precious uh, for each one of us to be able to uh, uh, remember them this weekend. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray uh, over the families. I don't know how many families here have loved ones who did make that ultimate sacrifice in giving themselves for the freedoms of our nation. Uh, but I know that there are those who've served in the military um, who have lost their friends and uh, perhaps even loved ones. And we just want to honor and, uh, and thank them for their sacrifice and those who remain behind uh, that carry the weight of, uh, of that loss. And so, Father, we thank you this morning, and God, we pray your blessing upon each one of these families. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in this wonderful country. Thank you, God, that we are able to gather together in a place like this, but uh, God, the freedoms that were hard fought from even hundreds of years ago, God, we do not take them lightly. We thank you, God, for the men and women who uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice of themselves, either in combat uh, situations or at, uh, even at home. God, that you would watch over these families who have been affected and deeply impacted by that loss. Lord, we pray that you would be the God of all comfort to them. Father, for those families that know you, um, God, and are grounded in you, Lord, I pray that you would do a dramatic work in their lives this weekend, Lord, as they, as they take time to remember and honor the fallen. And God, we do also recognize that there are many, uh, many families who have lost loved ones in the armed services that do not know you. And so, God, we pray that for those families especially, you would draw them close to you and be a comfort to them. And God, let us as the people of God be able to come around these families who are facing loss. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And God, I thank you that you are with us, as Pastor John said earlier. And uh, Lord, we rejoice 
over you. We rejoice, God, in the grace you've given to us and, Lord, the freedoms that we have in this wonderful country, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So thank you. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Kingdoms, our world is filled with them, <laughs> right? The kingdoms around us that we notice, some, uh, some of those kingdoms are the kingdoms of self. Uh, I'm the king of my own kingdom, <laughs> right? If I don't like what you say, you can get out of my kingdom and uh, I can uh, no longer listen to you because this is my kingdom and I'm always right in my kingdom. Um, there are other kingdoms around us that are brands, uh, I think of like Facebook and Twitter and Nike and Apple and Microsoft and, you know, whatever that is, right? They, they, they become kind of these, these kingdoms uh, that people associate with uh, particular feelings and senses about them, and they want to influence other people to come to their side because it's a kingdom. Other kingdoms are ideologies that might be religious uh, in nature, might be political in nature, or social activism, uh, these are kingdoms that seek to assert uh, power and authority. And we see these kingdoms playing out right in front of us in this world. Kingdoms that celebrate the confusion of gender and seek to create a narrative that makes right seem wrong and to take a stand against that culture gets you canceled. The wokeness of kingdoms that blur the lines of sexuality leading to immense confusion, especially among our children. There are kingdoms at war around us. We all feel it. We all sense it. It causes confusion even among adults. How do I handle this among parents? How do I, how do I work through this? Because I feel these kingdoms attempting to influence my own children. Kingdoms that celebrate the death of innocence. Many kingdoms, and our world is in a battle. Of that, there is no doubt at all. And in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this battle of kingdoms, there stands Jesus and his cross upon which he died. And also standing there in the middle of these crossroads is this, uh, this thing called the body of Christ, which is the church. We stand also in between these kingdoms that seem to be at war. And we know that this battle is only going to intensify in our culture. I know I've alluded to this before, but we know it is a truth and it's a fact. Some of these things that are coming to the forefront such as critical race theory that presumes racism is present in everyone, no matter what. As those things become mainstream and the celebration and embrace of uh, homosexuality and transgenderism rises to be normal, adultery is winked at, oppression is swept under the carpet, justice seems one-sided, we stand in a position of great need. Because there are kingdoms at war around us, and we feel it. A recent study by the Barna Institute and a very respected organization, and they just read this earlier this week, and in the last, well, this most recent study that they did of Christian faith and Christianity within the United States, 
shows um, that for the first time, less than 50% of the American population identifies as Christian. And of that, 50 per, of that less than 50%, only 6% identify as having a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview is a worldview that puts at the center of how we deal with morals and ethics and decision-making, that we put at the very center of that process the Word of God. Less than 6% of less than half of our country have a biblical worldview. There's a battle that's waging for the soul of our country. But more than that, there's a battle that's waging for the soul of people, of the humanity around us. And we're in the middle of this battle. So sorry to be a little bit heavy right here at the beginning. I'd prefer to kind of open up with a rah-rah moment. Um, but uh, just really, as I, actually, as I was studying for this, I was going a totally different direction at the beginning of it and uh, changed midweek, mid-stride, just like, okay, I got to change this whole starting point because uh, there is a weightiness to what's happening within our culture right now that we have to talk about and have to deal with. And uh, one more time, as we've done here recently, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I know this is like, uh, we're, we're up and down, up and down, but that's good, getting our heart flowing for some of you. This is the exercise for the entire week. All right, this is, uh, <laughs> there's a kingdom at war, right? We got kingdom of exercise. Uh, but we've been uh, reading through uh, the Lord's Prayer, and this whole idea of kingdoms is very central to what the Lord's Prayer is, uh, is all about. So we're going to get to that today, but we wanted to read again from a different version. This is the D-L-N-T, I think the, the Disciples Living New Testament, I believe, is, the, uh, uh, is this version of it. And uh, here we go. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, out of the D-L-N-T uh, version. And if you memorize the Lord's Prayer uh, in King James... Much apologies as we go through this because you're going to say words that probably aren't in there, but that's okay. So here we go. We'll read this together. Our Father in the heavens, let your name be treated as holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as in heaven also on earth. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgave our debtors. And do not bring us into a temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And all God's people said, amen, amen. And you can go ahead and be seated. Get the thigh muscle workout for the day. That was beautiful. So we've already looked at the first two parts of the Lord's Prayer. The fact that uh, God reveals himself as Father, right? And this Father is an intimate God as well as a revolutionary God. He is, um, he is close to us and nearby, and there's that intimacy there. But that intimacy is not necessarily weakness, right? It's not necessarily softness. Uh, what that intimacy actually is is a revolutionary kind of intimacy that, reveals, uh, that God reveals himself as a powerful, defending uh, uh, a majestic God who fights on our behalf. And then it moves in. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, Lord, let your name be made holy. And our responsibility, along with God's responsibility, uh, that we are to live holy lives. And in living holy lives, 
uh, as God's name is revealed through us, uh, that, the, that the world sees that God is a holy God. So there's a huge responsibility for us to live in holiness. And so we come to this last part, or this, uh, it's really the last part of the first part of, uh, of the Lord's Prayer. And so he says, you know, our Father in heaven, make your name holy. And then verse uh, 10, may your kingdom come. And if you have your Bibles, if you've got your smart devices, any way to take notes on it, just kind of circle that or in your mind, circle that, uh, that word kingdom. And then he says, so may your kingdom come and then may your will be done. You can circle your will. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So really, as Jesus talks about our Father in heaven and, and holiness, he comes down to this idea of your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So this, this central idea of the kingdom of God. What is God's kingdom? What, what, is it, what does it actually mean? And, and how, you know, what, what does it have to do with us today living in the year 2021? And then Jesus quickly proceeds from the kingdom, right? He says, may your kingdom come. And then he goes to your will be done. So this idea of God's will and God's kingdom are closely associated with one another. And so for us to fully grasp what the kingdom of God means, I think it'd be great for us to go to what Jesus uh, saw as the kingdom of God. Because remember, Jesus, is, this is his prayer that he models for us. And so... Whatever Jesus thinks about the kingdom, we also should think and understand about the kingdom uh, as well. So the very first message that Jesus uh, proclaims publicly, and uh, for those of you who are really studious, you'll remember back the first week of January, we actually talked about uh, this passage. I'm sure all of you that were here remember that. Uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 14 and 15, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, and remember, this is the very first time Jesus is talking. These are the first words out of Jesus' mouth. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Now, that word near means uh, at hand or it means right here. That's kind of, so it's not like near, it's coming soon. It's near as in it is right here. It is nearby. And so he says, repent and believe the gospel. So for Jesus, this idea that the kingdom of God was right here, right now, is something that was really important. A little bit later on in Luke, when Jesus is having this confrontation with this group of people called the Pharisees, uh, he says this, now at one point the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. So the Pharisees are like, hey, you know, when's this going to happen? It's going to be far off. We know that, but when's, when is all this going to take place? So he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is, like it's somewhere far off. He says, for indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is right now. So for Jesus, what was this kingdom of God that was being revealed right now? Well, I think the best way that I can think to describe it is the life of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God revealed. And so what was the life of Jesus? What was the kingdom of God being revealed in Jesus' life? Well, it's a woman who was caught in adultery and Jesus kneeling down beside her, dealing with some of the heart issues in her own life, 
And then, you know, uh, the, this is the story in, the, in John chapter 8. And uh, all the people that were going to stone her walk away from it. And Jesus says, where is everybody who's, uh, who was going to be stoning you? And she, you know, goes, you know, they're, they're all gone. And so Jesus said, I'm, I'm not going to condemn you either, but go and sin no more. This, this is the Jesus who reveals the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of no condemnation. Another time, Jesus heals, uh, heals this young girl. This father is deeply heartbroken over what was going on in his daughter's life, and, and she passes away, and Jesus walks over, puts his hand out, and raises her back to life. That is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God when Jesus reaches out to the leper, the, the, the one person who nobody would touch, and Jesus touches this leper and brings him into the family of God. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgiveness. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of mercy. Now, there's also confrontation at times, and so that happened for the religious people. <laughs> but what Jesus reveals as the kingdom of God, we should take to heart. Because when I think about the kingdom of God, that's what I should think about. That's what should be revealed. This is the kingdom of God at hand. Now, Jesus also saw the kingdom of God as something past. Um, he refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the great, kind of the founding fathers of our faith way back in uh, the book of Genesis, um, that, uh, that this, these founding fathers of faith, uh, they were part of the kingdom of God, Jesus declares. And so there's this idea the kingdom of God is past, it's present, and then certainly in the parables that Jesus speaks about uh, throughout the Gospels, many of the parables talk about the kingdom of God as something that's going to be coming uh, down the road, something for the future. And so we have this weird overlap that's going on all the time now with the kingdom of God, that it's here now, it's in the past, but it's also something that's going to be coming at some future date. And so we're living in this in-between time. We've talked about this a number of times in the, uh, the recent weeks, that there is this, this weird sort of tension that we always live in because we know the kingdom of God is here now, but it's not fully developed right now. And so how are we supposed to process this? So if we tie this all into what the, uh, the Lord's Prayer was at the beginning, it says, so it means for a start, and uh, thank you to N.T. Wright for some of the language here. He says, it means for a start that as we look up into the face of our Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to making his name holy. And then we look immediately out on the whole world that he made and we see it as he sees it. That the kingdom come is this idea that we see the world as God sees the world. And we, we see this kind of twofold. First off, uh, we see the world as God loves the world, <laughs> right? God has this incredible love for his creation. But God is also a realistic God. And he also sees this world that is filled with heartache and brokenness. And when we are able to look at both of those things together and hold them in tension and understand God loves the world, but man, this world is really messed up. It, that intersection happens in the life of Jesus Christ. So when we look at the world through the kingdom eyes of God, we see it through the eyes of Jesus who lived that life and showed the kingdom of God. And so uh, we are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil and for heaven and earth to be married at last 
For God to be all in all, and if we pray this way, we, of course, must be prepared to live this way, to see this world in that tension. So this brings us to God's will. What does God want? What does God want to happen in this world around us? What is the ultimate goal of God's will? And what part do we play in what God wants to have accomplished? So again, we look to, to, uh, to Jesus again for this. Uh, his, uh, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension, right? We look to this, that, that this becomes this focal point for every bit of our life. And so something about the life of Jesus Christ is the will of God revealed. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to redeem this creation. And so we've got to be about this work of redemption, We've got to be about this work of telling the world around us about this Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus, as he's praying this, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, really quickly, um, this is a uh, very, very tough question, I think, but is God's will accomplished in heaven? Does God accomplish his will in heaven? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> It's not a trick question. Okay, yes, he does. All right, so his will is accomplished in heaven. So when Jesus is saying, God, let your will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, so the expectation is that God's will is accomplished here on earth as well. It's not a pipe dream. It's not something that's unattainable. This is a prayer that Jesus himself is praying, and that gives me incredible hope for this world around us. Now, Jesus' followers at the time faced the same problem that we do, right? We want to see God's kingdom established. We want to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but we look around us and we see pain and suffering and hurt and evil. And how do we process this? Why is there still all of this going on? Um, now, the early disciples, they didn't escape by saying, oh, what Jesus is actually talking about is something that's far off, and so we just have to live with all this pain and suffering right now, so nothing we can do about it, so it's something far off. No, what they lived with was this tension that we are part of bringing the kingdom of God now. We're part of God's will being established now on earth as it is in heaven. So if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, something really interesting is being pictured for us. Because we often think of heaven and earth as something that are totally, uh, totally far apart, right? I mean, it's like, you know, we got earth with all of its problems, heaven is perfect, and uh, one day we'll go there or whatever. But if you look at Genesis, you see something really interesting. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created what? the heavens, and the earth. It's as if there's a joining of those two in perfection, right? There, there's something about heaven and earth being created together that they are, they are not these, these two totally separated worlds. That perhaps happens in Genesis chapter 3, <laughs> all right? But in the beginning, God's original thing was a heaven and earth created together, that the overlap was complete. 
And there are a lot of scholars who look at the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and based on the research of, of uh, you know, ancient Near East texts and history and all of that, it's almost like the structure of Genesis 1 and 2 is this idea of, of temple building and temple celebration. And in ancient Near East cultures, they would, they would build their temples, and the stories that they would tell would go along with the building of their temples. And so there are some, uh, some biblical scholars who see in Genesis 1 and 2 this idea that it's almost like God is constructing his temple, which is all of creation. And that at the end of the construction of it on the seventh day, right, where God rested, it was him resting over his creation, resting over his temple, saying, I'm in control, I am in charge, this is good. And if you were building a temple in the ancient Near East uh, history, uh, the last thing, or what would be the last thing you would bring into that temple? Well, the last thing you would bring into that temple was some sort of image or something to represent the God that was going to be worshipped, something that represented the God that was going to be celebrated. And what do we find in Genesis chapter 1 toward the very end of the story of creation? God took this lump of dirt and he breathed into this lump of dirt life and he says, let us create man, let us create woman in our image, right? We are the image of this incredible God who created this world around as his temple. It's like, it's like this place of worship, and we, represent, we have this high calling of representing who God is in his created order, in his created world. And so when it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God's will can be accomplished through us because we are the image of the Most High God. Now, we are broken by sin, right? We are imperfect. There is this marring that happened in Genesis chapter 3, and that image has been made imperfect now, but Jesus redeems us and brings that image of God back to bear in our lives because we are redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God. So, what is our job on earth as the image of God? So, we have a vocation. How many of you uh, currently work? Just raise your hand really quickly there, all right? All right, so, each one of us have a vocation. We have a job to do, and for, uh, for many of us, that's kind of how we see the job that we do as just a job to do. I, I push papers for the day. I, I um, you know, maybe I'm a nurse, or maybe I, do. I just have a job, and then I come home, and then I actually live my life. But there is a deeper reality of what we are supposed to be as image bearers of the Most High God. And this is what it is. If you ever wondered about your job, does my job matter? Right? Does the job that I go to uh, you know, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, does my job actually matter? First Peter chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen race or you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, the job of the priests in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, the job of the priest was to represent God to the people right? 
That was the job of the priest. Uh, that you are also a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may, pr- may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a royal priesthood. So your job... For those of you who work in the morning, you get up in the morning after not nearly long enough sleep. You get up in the morning and you go off to work. Your vocation is first and foremost the royal priest of God Most High. That's your first job. You just happen to do the job of a custodian right in a building with hundreds of people that might be your cleaning, right now, maybe not hundreds of people you're cleaning for, (laughs) but you're cleaning this building over and over and over and over and over again, you are first and foremost in your vocation, a priest of the Most High God, bearing his image. So your work matters. What you do on a daily basis matters to God because the job you have, maybe you are the only image of God that anybody else is ever going to see. Anybody else at that work where you are on a daily basis, you're it. God has called you there. Represent him well. So we bear the image of God. His kingdom then is revealed through us in this created world and order around us, and we get to represent him to this world. Um, so the way you work must reflect the kingdom of God, right? And that kingdom of God is the life that Jesus revealed in you. Your ethics, right? The the decision-making process that you have for what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you treat your boss, how you treat those who work under you, that work for you, is Jesus revealed on a daily basis. It matters because you are a priest of the Most High God. Um, the way you celebrate, the way you mourn, the way you care, every bit of it is part of answering that prayer that Jesus prayed, may the kingdom of God come. May God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to use us. The way you interact with your spouse the way you interact with your children, the way you interact with your parents, all of it, every bit of it should reflect the fact that we are the priest of God Most High. Men, women, <laughs> right? Any one of us serving Jesus, we are the priest of the Most High God. Um, it also shows up in how we care about our neighbors. Uh, just this week, Shelly and I went for a, a quick walk and uh, walked down to the end of our street. We know our neighbors like right next to us and in our, uh, in our little uh, cul-de-sac that we have. It's been two and a half years and finally now know the name of our neighbor at the very end of our street. And that's to my shame, <laughs> right? That I did not know her name until this week, just two days ago. I'm trying to remember when we went on that walk. It was a lovely walk, sweetie. I remember it deeply, <laughs> right? But we met our neighbor for the first time. But when you see your neighbors walking through difficult times, do you pray for them from a distance or do you let them know that you believe that God has a plan in their life? 
Are you the priest or the priestess, right, representing God well in your neighborhood? If you've got a coworker and you know through the Zoom meetings you've had that they are struggling right now, do you let them know that God has a plan for their life and that Jesus loves them? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Um, so how do we, we wrestle with this in-between time? What is the ultimate uh, place of that kingdom of God uh, for us? Revelation chapter 11, remember the kingdom of God is also future. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. This kingdom right now that is broken, that is hurting, this kingdom of this world where, there's, uh, where the sin seems like it is reigning, one day in the future the kingdom of God right, will take over the kingdom of this world and it will all be his. And at that point... Right? There's no more sin, no more tears. There's no more, uh, no more suffering, no more dying. And the kingdom of God will be fully revealed. But until that time, we are the ones who represent God. And we represent, well, actually, uh, there was a uh, part of the scripture I didn't read in 1 Peter chapter 2. Why do we actually live this way? He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul, right? That's the holiness aspect of what we've already talked about. And may, we are to maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so, um, so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, we feel that pressure, right, in the culture around us, they may see your good deeds. In other words, the way that you live your life matters now. They can see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. The ultimate purpose of our lives, just like last week, Holy Spirit, empower us, fill us so that we can be witnesses to this world around us. All of this ties together, my friends, right? All of this ties together for this one purpose and focus. God has called us to represent him well. Now, I know I've said this, I've kind of danced around this whole thing now, probably for weeks, about our responsibility. Uh, there's a reason for it. Because there are battles for the soul of our children. There are battles around us, kingdoms that are fighting against one another, and we need to see the kingdom of God prevail. And part of that is our responsibility as believers to live this life so that others see that there's an alternative Right? It's not just a blended culture. This is a counter-cultural revolution that the church should be in this world around us. We are not like the world. We live with Jesus in our lives, and there's something different about us. And so, Father God, I thank you for today. And God, as we take stock of our own lives um, right now, Lord, help us to realize that you have called us to be a royal priesthood. Lord, the men and women who are following you in this place today, those that are watching online, God, that we represent you in this, this created world order around us. And God, while we live in this tension where there's this overlap of, of the world yet to come, the world as it is, God, we live in this tension around us and the battles of these kingdoms is very, very real. Lord, we feel it, we sense it, we see it in the news around us, we see it on social media. So God, help us.
have a very clear biblical worldview that we take into account what your word says. And Lord, your word says that we are the priests of God. And you've called us to represent you to a broken, a dying, and a hurting world. And so Jesus, help us to live the kingdom of God that you revealed in its healing, in its hope, in its grace, in its mercy, in its forgiveness, in its life. Lord, help us to live that life of the kingdom of God now so that in the end, the people that don't know you now will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Lord, let it be through the anointed lives that you've called us to live. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, we sang it earlier, but God, let it be that we live the blessing of God, that, Lord, your face would shine upon us, that, Lord, you would give us your peace and your grace, and that, Lord, as we leave from this place, we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live a life of witnessing and telling the world about you. Because, God, you are worth every sacrifice. You are worth every bit of our life and our attention. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people as they head to work. Uh, for most of them, it would be Tuesday. Lord, that your blessing would rest upon them. That, Lord, you would allow them to see their first vocation is that of representing you well in the workplace. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Um, don't forget, next week we continue to teach us to pray, uh, going through um, where, where, the, where Jesus was praying. Uh, give us today our daily bread. There's some really cool things in there, so make sure you're here next week and invite your friends and your family. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. And men, don't forget to sign up for men's breakfast. God bless you.